We're in the last message of the It series. I can't believe this is the last message. You know, we've said that there is an it with God. There's something that's so important that God sets it off as the most important thing. And if you haven't been to church in a long time and you sort of have forged an opinion of of Christian churches, maybe you think that the most important thing is money, that what we're after here is your money. But I can assure you that there's something that to God is much more important than your money. Or it could be that you're saying, well, I know what God wants me to do. God wants me to straighten up and fly right and quit doing all the bad stuff and starts doing all, doing all the good stuff. Well, I mean, I guess that's true, no doubt about it. I mean, God doesn't want you doing sin. God doesn't want you doing things that are right. But there's something that's more fundamental than that. Because if you deal with this key thing that's so important to God, everything else will be right. That's why we're calling it it. Because it's, it's everything. It's what separates you from the rest of the pack. It is faith. You know, I don't think that there's any accident for us English-speaking people that it is right in the middle of faith. Here's what God said about faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Well, that means you can go to church, but, you know, you can give money, you can do all kinds of things, but if faith is not at the core of what you do, you can't please God. That's the reason why... You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about religion at the beginning of our message today. That's the reason why a lot of people are engaged in religion. It just goes nowhere. It's a dead end in the street. Because they don't have faith. That spiritual component that activates everything else. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen to the other parenthesis there. The Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Now, isn't that it? If it has to be there to please God, and if it's not there, it's sin, then I've been telling you for the last seven weeks the truth. It is everything. My message this morning, though, in the last message, the last installment of the series is called Don't Leave Home Without It. Now, I want you to think about something with me for a moment. Jesus is teaching. Two crowds come to hear him teach. One crowd comes to gripe. And the other crowd comes to listen to what he's got to say. Let me, let me tell you who the two crowds are. See if you can guess who are the gripers and who are the ones who are fans who want to hear what he has to say. One group is very religious. They're the most religious people in Jesus' day. These are people who go to worship. Some of them pray three hours a day. I mean, they know the rules. They go by the rules. They're really into religion. Then the other group that's there to to listen to Jesus are some bad people. There's some hookers in there. There's some thieves in there, some liars. No telling what's in this group. The Bible just calls them sinners. Now, let me ask you a question. Which group do you think came to gripe? Which group came to listen to Jesus? Well, you're saying, well, of course, Mark, it's the religious people who came to pat Jesus on the back and say, way to go. We love this stuff. We got our legal pads here. We're ready to go. Teach us. And it's the bad people. It's the bad seeds. You know, the guys with the motorcycle tattoos and jackets and stuff. These are the guys that came to taunt Jesus and gripe about what he's doing. Couldn't be more wrong. Because the Bible says it was the bad people that we would call bad, maybe. It was the bad people that loved Jesus. They were eating him up. I mean, they, were, they just loved everything that he had to say. And it was the very religious crowd who were there to gripe. And guess what they were griping about? 
This guy hangs with the wrong crowd. That's right. I mean, read. We're in Luke chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and get there, start looking at it. I mean, look at the first part of the chapter. I mean, they just said, we don't like this guy. He can't be of God because he's hanging with a really rough crowd. And we just think that if he was somebody that was right with God, he, wouldn't, he would know that there are hookers in his audience. He would know that there's some bad people here. He would know there are people here who have done time. He would know that there are people here that are on their sixth marriage. And Jesus starts telling stories. Oh, he was a master storyteller. Nobody could tell a story like Jesus because, see, people would try to get him locked into rules and ritual, and he'd just, like, tell this life situation that just shook everything down to its core. And he told three stories in Luke 15. He tells a story about a, a shepherd with 100 sheep who loses one of them. And he left the 99 in the fold, and he went out in search of the one that was lost. And when he found it, he was excited. He called his friend and he said, let's party because I found my sheep that was lost. And then there was a woman who had 10 coins. You should understand it wasn't just that she had 10 dimes that she had been putting in a dresser drawer somewhere. These 10 coins were her dowry. If she lost a piece of that dowry, horrible rules and laws back in those days. A husband could divorce her because of that. She evidently lost one of the coins that was part of her dowry. And according to Jesus' story, she didn't stop. She didn't rest. She swept the house. She looked behind all the furniture until she found that one coin that was lost. And when she found it, she called all her girlfriends in and said, let's party. Found my coin. And then he tells the story. Literature analysts say that it's the greatest short story of all time. You wouldn't know this from listening to me preach, but in a previous life, I actually taught English. <laughs> I was in my 20s. I was bivocational at the time. I actually taught English. So please don't check my grammar. I can tell you right now, I make a lot of mistakes. I, I don't have the attention span for Russian novels, but I do like short stories. <laughs> there are certain authors that I just really like to read, short stories, but they tell us that the greatest short story of all time is the story that Jesus is about to launch into. Before I get into that story, let me tell you what's at the core of it. Do you, do you know why that sinners loved Jesus? What was it that made them different from the religious crowd? It was because Jesus could say to the sinners, this is where you went wrong and this is how you get back. Religion can never do that. Religion looks at people who are bad, and a bad person says, well, I know I'm bad. How, do, how did I get bad? And religion says, you're bad because you're not part of us. Well, how do I get back? Well, if you were one of us, you would know the answer. If you don't know, if you don't know the price, you can't afford to ask. If you can't afford it, you don't know. You know that, that's, that's what religion says. But then what happens is that there's scandal in religion, and the rest of the world blows it off and says, well, there's nothing to it in the first place. What attracted people to Jesus was this, folks. He could say to people who'd gone wrong, which, by the way, is all of us. He could say to people who've gone wrong, this is where you got off track, and this is how to get back. That, to me, I don't know about you, I can't, you'll have to make up your mind on this, but I got to tell you, that's very powerful for me. Because I know I'm, I'm part of the bad crowd. I can't even be perfect for 30 minutes. 
I mean, there's not 30 minutes that goes by that I, I do everything I'm supposed to do and don't do something that I, that, that I should. I mean, how, do, how did I get off track and how do I get back? This is why this message is so important to you and me and why I've saved it for the last week of the It series. Let's take our Bibles, if you have them, and look at Luke chapter 15, starting around verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. Wow, that's pretty cruddy, isn't it? I mean, the way this was set up, there were two boys in the family, by rights, by the law. The older son would get two-thirds, the younger son would get one-third. And this boy comes to his dad and says, I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give me my third right now. Look at this. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. Now, are you sort of tracking with Jesus here as he, as he twists and turns through this story? He, he was, this boy at the beginning of the story was a loved son. He had nice clothes. He lived in a nice home. He had a wonderful father who, by the way, and I'm going to tell you this over and over this morning, the father is God in Jesus' story. This boy had everything, and he said, I want my inheritance. He got his money, didn't handle it well, lived wild, lived undisciplined, had wild parties, lost all his money, and now he's broke and penniless and away from home, and he goes to this guy who lives in this country, and he asks him for a job. What a slippage. He's gone from being a son to trying to get a job. The Greek word there says that he, he just attached himself to this farmer. This farmer didn't want to hire him. This farmer had probably been to one of his, this boy's parties. And, but it, he just glued himself. You ever see somebody who's a hanger-on? You know, I mean, they're just sort of the butt of the jokes. I mean, they'll just do anything just to hang around with the crowd. That's how far this boy had slipped. Look at this. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Jesus is telling us how we go wrong. And that's really important. This story is very, very important to all of us. Now, when the story says that this boy took his loot and went as far away as he could get from home, and he wasted everything in wild living, the Greek word there means undisciplined. He quit living a disciplined lifestyle. Could I say to all of us today that when we stop living a disciplined lifestyle, we're headed for trouble. Discipline withholds a good feeling right now for a good feeling later. Discipline sacrifices today for a payoff tomorrow. 
And what happened with this boy was he went from living a disciplined life at home, which he chafed under, to going as far as he could with money to throw around, and he, he stopped living a disciplined life, and he lost it all and got himself into all kinds of trouble. Now, my guess is if, you look, if you've had some episodes in your life where you've disappointed yourself and disappointed the people that loved you, you would look back to a place where discipline slipped out of your life. You know, you were, you were in school and you were studying hard, but then there were some friends who were partying and smoking marijuana and maybe, you know, having keg parties, and you just said, well, you know what? Why should I, have, I work so hard and stay up late and study while everybody else is out partying? I'm going to get in there too, and it won't hurt anything. And many people can trace dropping out of college right back to that moment. All of us struggle with discipline. I mean, discipline is the difference between being careful how you eat and binging on Twinkies. Discipline is the difference between vegging on the couch and working out. It's the difference between spending everything and loading up your credit cards or saving and investing. Because, see, here's the deal. This is what makes all the difference. And somebody can say, well, Mark, I still don't see where faith comes into this. Faith is everything here. Because discipline is always about the future. Discipline determines your life, and faith determines your discipline. Because when you lose confidence in a payoff out there in the future, that's when you'll let discipline slip out. And the odd thing is, when you let discipline go, your future goes right along with it. Here's what the Bible says about that. In Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin Hold him fast, for he will die for lack of discipline. Let's run the camera back for a moment look at this boy. He's living at home. Before he leaves, he's got everything he needs. He's dressing well. He's eating well. He's got the love of his father, who, by the way, represents God. I mean, he's having to live a disciplined lifestyle, but he says, I don't want to do that. Here's the core of this whole message. What caused him to go wrong? At some point, this boy said to him, said to himself, I can't trust my father with my future. My dad doesn't get it. He's old school, and he's causing me to live a life of discipline. I'm withholding some stuff from I mean, I'm seeing that bank account that my dad has in the bank that I'm going to get someday when he dies, but I can't trust my dad. I can't trust my God with my future. At some point, doing the right thing no longer had a payoff. Guys, when you and I get to that place where doing the right thing no longer has any payoff and we lose faith, Discipline is the next thing to go out the window. And the horrible thing is our future goes right along with it. Did you know right now your life's, the life you're living right now? Because somebody said, Mark, I don't know how I got here. I can tell you, pretty much your life right now is a snapshot of the disciplines that you've lived with for the last five years. 
If you look at your life right now today, where you are financially, where you are physically, and I know that sometimes there are some things that we don't have control over like disease or maybe a, you know, economic downturn or something, but absent those kind of things, really pretty much my life and your life is a snapshot of the disciplines that we've lived with. And it, it would make sense for some of us to get honest about that. And, and it could be good news. I mean, right now, you could be reaping the benefits of some smart choices, some disciplined choices that you made back there in the past because you said, you know what? There's a payoff for doing the right thing. I know what the right thing is to do here, and maybe I'm going to have to lay, you know, satisfaction off for the future here. Maybe I'm going to have to lay gratification off for the future here. But I'm doing the right thing today. There's going to be a payoff tomorrow, and there's no place in the world where that's more important like obeying God. I could be talking to some of you today, and you're just about to veer off. Or maybe you have veered off a little bit. You know what God wants you to do very clearly. But you're saying, I just don't know that I can trust God. We would never say that out loud. I don't think this boy said to his dad, his dad I don't trust you anymore. He just said, give me my money so I can go. And that's what we do. We do the same thing because a lot of us are listening to this story and we're saying, I can't believe a kid would talk to his dad that way. Really, when you and I say to God, I'm going to control my own life here. I'm going to take charge of this. I know what God says, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. We're just like this kid. Because somewhere down along the line, we've stopped believing that doing the right thing has a payoff. And we leave home without it. How does that work? <laughs> I can testify on several occasions it has not worked well for me. But there's something about me taking control of my life and making my choices and doing what I want to do, regardless of what God says or thinks about it. There's something about that that gets me in a deep trouble. And that's what happened with our boy here. He took the money. Man, he, for a while he had friends everywhere. I mean, there were, he had an entourage. He had, he had boys. I mean, he had a gang with him. He, wherever he went, there were people around him. It was good. He was what they used to call good time Charlie. But after a while, the money went because he wasn't disciplined. And he woke up one day in a hangover and realized that he didn't have anything left. I mean, he went down to the bank and said, hey, I just need to draw my account. And the banker said, sorry, you don't have anything left here. And he said, there's got to be money in the account. I mean, when I, when I came here, I had a third of my father's wealth. How could I blow through that in six months? Sorry. So I said, well, hey, I've, I'll go get a job. And he went to some of those friends that he used to party with and said, hey, can you get me a job at the, at the factory? Huh. You don't have money anymore? Sorry, we don't know you. And it got so bad that the only place that he could, could get a job, he went, he went to what he had done before. He had, he had, his dad was a farmer, so he started hanging around this farmer, and he said, I need a job. And the farmer said, I can't put you on. I don't have anything to pay. He said, please, just let me, just let me stay around. I mean, I'll just do a job. I mean, if, money, if you decide you want to pay me, fine. If you don't decide you want to pay me, I just, I just got to hang on someplace. And this farmer said, well, I don't know that I can pay anything, but hogs have to be slopped. Why don't you go do that? And here is this boy who had grown up in this really nice home with a loving dad who, by the way, represents God. And he had all that he could ask for. Now he's so low that the only thing he can do for a living, which he isn't getting paid for, is pouring slop into a trough for hogs. But that wasn't where it stopped. In Jesus' story, the boy got so hungry, 
that he almost reached his hand down into the slop trough and brought it up to his mouth to eat. It was at that moment that he got a clue. (laughs) How many of you have been right there at that spot and you got a clue? Because you said, you know, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what my friends say. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you just get down to the bottom and you're just about to crater and do some things that you would never have thought you would have ever done when you wake up and you say, hey, I remember a life that wasn't this way. That's what brought some of you back to church. I remember a life that was different. Because like I said, Jesus is not, I mean, he's not saying to the bad crowd, hey, you guys are bad, you're always bad, you stink, I don't want you around me. He was saying to them, this is where you got off, and this is how you get back on. This boy with that handful of slop, he remembered, you know, even the guys who are my dad's servants sleep out in the bunkhouse that don't have my dad's name, and they don't wear the Armani suits. They just wear the coveralls. Even those guys have all they can eat because my dad is even good to the people who are not his children. Can I get a witness on that one this morning? I mean, isn't it amazing how good God is to the people that don't even believe in him? And that boy said, my dad is good to people who aren't his children. I'm just going to go back, and I'm going to say to my dad, would you just hire me? Now take your Bibles. Let's look at the story and see what happened next. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. Don't you know he was wondering, what's it going to be like? Because when he left home, he just blew his dad off and said, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. Give me your money. I'm out of here. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. You may be here today, and you may be a long way off from God, and you're wondering, well, man, what would happen to me if I tried to come back home to God? Listen, this father saw the boy a long way off. Why? Because he was looking for him. You may be a long way off from God, but you won't have to twist his arm to take you back. He's been looking for you. He's been watching you all along. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead. And has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. I like this. So the party began. Now, guys, let me just talk to you for a few moments. Do you realize the transition this boy went through? Because this is where it's going to help you and me. This boy was like the typical American Christian. He had everything. He was living large. He's nice house, nice clothes, money. But here's what he said. He said to his father, who represents God, I have everything, but I trust you with nothing. When I look at how, Amer- how Christians are in third world countries and how they trust God and how American Christians trust God, it is embarrassing for us. 
You go to a culture where people don't know where their next meal is coming from and they follow Jesus and you will find some truly devoted followers. But here in America, we have so much. See, sometimes God is so good to us, we have no idea what life without him would be like. And so we can say to him, okay, so you say this in your book. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And there are some of us who come every weekend to church, and that's how we live our lives. We, we listen to God, and we sort of salad bar it. Yeah, well, okay, I'll do this and I'll do that, but I don't want to do that. I'll take you up here, but here I, I, don't, I don't think I want to do that. And what we're saying is, I have everything, but I trust you with nothing. We somehow lose the idea that doing the right thing has a payoff down the road. Now, I asked you a question a moment ago. I said, do you see the transition that happened in this boy's life? He started off by saying, I have everything, but I trust you with nothing. When he got to the bottom, what was he saying to the father when he said, just make me a servant? He was saying, I have nothing, but I trust you with everything. I trust your goodness so much that I'm willing to just come back and be an employee, a servant. And what he discovered at that moment was that the father didn't want him back to be a servant. The father was glad to bring him back as a son. I mean, think about how filthy this boy must have been. No place to take a shower, no place to take a bath. His clothes were matted and filthy. His hair was ragged. I mean, if I'd been the father, I would say, you get a shower and we'll think about getting some coveralls from the bunkhouse. Can you imagine? This is so cool. Can you imagine taking the best and most expensive robe in the house and putting it around the shoulders of this kid who had so done wrong. That is the God you serve. And if you come back to him today, there's some stuff in your life and my life that probably doesn't smell good and we're embarrassed about and we're disappointed and we're wondering if God can ever love us anymore, but the answer is yes. I just want to encourage you, don't leave home without it. There are four groups of us here today, and I don't, I don't have time to, to really extrapolate this, but could I just throw this out because you're in one of four groups here. Group one, you're God's child, and you're in the Father's house. I don't mean church. I'm just talking about you're following God, and you love it. You're cool. I mean, you're saying, I have everything, and I trust you with everything, and I, I'm going to be obedient because I know there's a payoff here. If you're there today, Stay there. Don't leave the farm. Because every once in a while, the enemy will come up and he'll have some little gadget out there, some little shiny thing in life that he'll throw out there and say, hey, if you had this, you'd be really cool and you wouldn't have to forego some of that stuff that you're foregoing. Just stay in the farm because God is good. Second group. You may still be in the Father's house, but you've got one foot out the door. And you're saying to God, I don't know that I can trust you. I know this is what you say, but. I know I should do this, but. I I know I shouldn't do this, but. If that's what you're saying today, you got one foot out the door. And I don't have to tell you where you're headed. You say, well, but Mark, I think I can trust myself. I, I, can, I can make it happen. I know what I need. I, I, God, just want, I mean, God just wants me to be happy. I got one foot out the door. I'm running away from him, but that's going to make me happy, and God understands that. 
If you're in that group today, could I just encourage you to read the story again? Then there's some of you today, and you're in the hog pen. Because somewhere back down the road, you lost confidence that there was a payoff for serving God. And right now, even though you're in church, your life is a mess. Could I encourage you to understand with all your heart that you don't have to be there? See, I think that's one of the things the enemy does to keep people in the hog pen. He says, you have to be here. You were at home, you were living with God, and you were following God, but then you blew God off, and now you're here, and he won't take you back. I just want to tell you, if you're in the hog pen today, you don't have to be there. Because you can get right back on where you got off. I'm talking to some of you here today, you're on your way back home. That's why you're here in church. Sometime maybe a month or so ago. Maybe a little longer than that. You said, you know what? i got to get back to God. I don't know how he's going to treat me. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to church, and maybe the ceiling's going to fall in on me. But you're on your way back to God today. Could I just say, come on home? I mean, let me be the third base coach waving you on in because God wants you to come home. You come on back. I don't have any idea where this sermon finds you. I just know it's been my favorite ever since started planning this series months and months ago. Don't leave home without it. Faith is believing there's a payoff for following God, and it's staying where God can really bless you.